Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. A little later in the show, we're going to talk to some of the student journalists at Michigan State University who have been working on the ongoing story about Larry Nasser, Dr. Larry Nasser, and Michigan State University. Some of the biggest scoops in this story and this ongoing story have been broken by the students at the State News. We'll talk to them about what that's been like and what the climate on campus is like for students while this really, really wrenching emotional story unfolds. So you'll want to stay tuned to that. Also, remember, if you are stepping away from the radio because you're headed into work or for any other reason, you don't have to miss out on the conversations here on Detroit Today. If you go to iTunes or wherever you download podcasts, you can download and subscribe to Detroit Today. You can take us with you and listen whenever you are ready. Uh, Up first, Amazon's decision to pass up Detroit for its new North American headquarters is a big disappointment for a lot of local officials. We heard from Detroit Regional Chamber uh, CEO Sandy Barua on this program. Uh, They thought they had submitted a world-class proposal that would at least get them into the top 20 cities that are vying for this huge prize. Amazon would have brought tens of thousands of jobs and billions of dollars in local investment here to Detroit. So it's no surprise that a lot of the people involved are a little frustrated. That was made really clear this week by Dan Gilbert, who posted a memo to his Amazon committee members that blamed a lingering national perception that Detroit is a depressed and dangerous place. Although these public officials and businessmen are disappointed, Michigan Future Incorporated President Lou Glazer is not surprised. And he says it's not just because everyone else thinks we are a dump. Lou Glazer uh, is someone who has been writing for a long time about the things that we're doing in Michigan that don't make sense in the context of success, success as it's measured by what other states do, success as it's measured uh, on a national scale. And so his reaction to the Amazon failure uh, was a little different than the rest of ours, almost as if to say, I told you so, that we're not really doing the things or the fundamentals uh, that that, that uh, other states are involved in and focusing on. We're not really doing those here in the state of Michigan. As I said, Lou Glazer is the president and co-founder of Michigan Future Inc., a nonpartisan nonprofit organization with the mission of being a source of new ideas on how Michigan can succeed as a world-class community and a knowledge-driven economy. And he joins us now to talk about our future. Lou, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So as I said in the open, I mean, you're somebody who over the years has written and, and spoken again and again about the misplaced priorities, I guess, is the way I might uh, describe it here in the state of Michigan. The things that we pursue as though they will grow the economy, open up opportunity for people, but really they're in contrast to the things uh, that other states uh, are are focused on and and that we uh, are, are headed in a different direction because we are doing things that send us in that direction. Is that a is that a fair assessment? Yeah, uh, exactly. So um, <clears throat> I did a post that sort of just basically quoted from a report that we did in 2006 mm-hmm. uh, to make the case that the data has been pretty clear for 
more than a decade um, that um, that the economy, as it has shifted away from being factory driven to being knowledge driven, mm-hmm. that the places that are succeeding have been pursuing a strategy that basically has two key components. The first is increased education attainment. Uh, there, you know, if you look at what Amazon made a priority of in their RFP, it was concentrated talent, where talent is described uh, or defined by basically by adults with a four-year degree or more. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is by far the single best predictor of uh, whether a state is prosperous or not, and even more importantly, whether a metropolitan area is prosperous or not. Yeah. So it's not, an, it's not an accident that every one of the 20 that made the final list, other than Miami, uh, were more college-educated than Metro Detroit. Yeah. So that's strategy one. Strategy two is, and Amazon made a big deal about this as well, uh, is what we call placemaking. It's creating places where mobile talent wants to live and work, uh, particularly young mobile talent. And at the top of the list uh, of uh, those sort of services and amenities that others are investing in is a high-quality regional transit system, of which Detroit has been offline for 40 years. So if you look at those two things, uh, sort of education, attainment, and placemaking. Um, that's why it wasn't a surprise to us. Yeah. Um, you know, and in that 2006 report, we basically said, if Michigan's policy does not move away from sort of low taxes as the answer to everything and move towards a public investment strategy and education and placemaking infrastructure, whatever you want to call it, we are not going to be competitive in the growing knowledge economy. This is just sort of a proof point in that overall sort of problem that Michigan continues to have. Yeah. Uh, you've also, in the past, written a lot about other states who, who, who get this right, uh, right. particularly other states in the Midwest. And right. uh, uh, Minneapolis or Minnesota yep. Um, it is one of the one of the places that you look to right. pretty frequently for right. for models. Right. So in the Great Lakes, um, <clears throat> you know, in terms of state prosperity, all the metrics that matter, sort of per capita income, um, uh, sort of uh, wages and benefits uh, per capita, uh, the proportion of adults who work, college attainment, you name it. Minnesota is simply way above everybody else, and they are the highest tax state in the Great Lakes. Yeah, and what makes it different? What what they've done is is that they've used that extra tax revenue to make the public investments that matter. They are they were one of the early pioneers in uh, early childhood education, so their their uh, birth through college system is much better funded than us. They um, they have made a priority about around placemaking, sort of revenue sharing for local governments, transit, transportation, I mean, all the stuff uh, that um, that we think matters most and that Amazon thought mattered most, they've been investing in, uh, well, we've been disinvesting in. At the regional level, in addition to Metro Minneapolis, and if you look at the data, 
uh, from the Amazon submissions. The region in the Great Lakes that is doing the best uh, after Metro Minneapolis is Chicago. Uh, and Chicago is sort of, I would argue, example A of a place that has made all sorts of investments in being an attractive place for mobile talent. And so it's no surprise that somebody told me at Michigan State a while ago that the largest concentration of recent MSU graduates are in two zip codes in Chicago. Mm-hmm. That's not an accident. Right. Right. Uh, to also talk about this tension between in the narrative that we have about how to grow, uh, you know, the state of Michigan, how to grow Detroit, this tension between the idea that tax cuts grow the economy and and the idea that uh, taxes and what you do with them help grow the economy. And you, you, you referenced that a, a few times. Yeah. And, and when we think about some of the things, the problems we face here in Michigan, I mean, that plays out in really dramatic fashion. Think about our roads, for instance, right? right. Worst in the Midwest by far, maybe worst in the nation. Yep. Um, uh, and, and we pay less per capita to take care of those roads than other states. Our schools sliding down uh, the rankings, uh, both K-12 and higher ed, uh, and and we have not been keeping pace with with other uh, with other states in the way they invest in education, uh, but but you know if a politician comes out and says I want to raise taxes and this is what I would want to do with it, the chances of that politician winning seem to go way down, even though we we live with the consequences of uh, of that sort of frugal right. approach, it, it's it's hard to get people to think about, well, I'm going to pay taxes for this, but things are going to get better as a result. Right. Um, so let's do the politics first, which I'm not an expert at, but I, you know, like everybody else, I've got an opinion. Sure. Um, <laughs> politicians clearly believe it's true what you just said, which is that they lose elections if they tell people they're going to raise taxes. Um, but I would argue that we have not had that debate because no one has run on the alternative agenda in either party for a couple of decades. Mm-hmm. So my basic belief is, and there's, you know, you can talk to people who do polling. I think the polling shows that there actually is public support for paying higher taxes for better schools and better roads in particular. But no one runs on it. So part part of what we've been trying to do and have been trying to get more aggressive about in the last uh, year or so as we put out our first policy agenda is trying to see if we can get candidates in both parties to run on that alternative to low, the low-cost places or the places with the best economy. Mm-hmm. It's, it's factually not true, um, but, but it tends to be the dominant narrative kind of thing. Here's here's a pretty interesting, the Citizens Research Council recently did a report um, uh, on this very topic, and what they found is, is that in 1983, so 83 is uh, a period in which the Michigan's factory-based economy made us one of the most prosperous states. Our state and local taxes per capita were 11% above the national average. Mm -hmm. In 2013, the last year in which there's apples-to-apples data available, Michigan state and local taxes combined were 11% below the national average, and we had gone from a high-prosperity state to a low-prosperity state. 
So we've been trying this tax cut, this the path to prosperity strategy, they would argue for 30 years, and we've got the exact opposite result. So I I believe if people run on um, run on the case that we have been making, that if you care about particularly good paying jobs, what's different about Amazon from a lot of the economic development uh, opportunities we have is these were very high paid jobs. A lot of the jobs that we compete for are lower paid jobs. So if you want to compete for good paying jobs, which is sort of Michigan's fundamental economic problem at the moment, we don't have enough of them, um, you, um, you have got to pay attention to education and placemaking, quality of life, infrastructure, whatever you call that. You know, and, and the governor's just had, you know, two commissions, one in infrastructure, one in education, that basically made that case as well, right? Right. Right. No, that's right. Um, you're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. Uh, my guest is Lou Glazer. He's the president and co-founder of Michigan Future, Inc., a nonpartisan nonprofit organization with the mission of being a source of new ideas on how Michigan can succeed. Uh, we're talking about the failed Amazon bid, but not just the failed Amazon bid itself, but the context in which Detroit failed to make the list of top 20 cities competing for that company's second headquarters. What are the things that we're doing uh, to be a competitive uh, place, to be a place that companies might want to locate, that people might want to move to start their lives? And uh, the decisions that we're making, do they sort of track with us moving up the ranks of that uh, that list or moving backwards? What do you think about our failed Amazon bid and the things that we do uh, to make sure that this state has good schools and decent roads and things like that. Uh, if you want to join the conversation, give us a call. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put your comments there. Or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today will work you into the conversation. A little later in the show, we're going to talk more specifically about the role that education played in Detroit's failed bid for Amazon. Think about education not just here in the city of Detroit, but in the region and statewide. All of the numbers that we keep seeing that uh, show us falling behind other other states in our region, other cities in our region, other states in the country. Let's go to the phones here. Anthony in Detroit, you're up first on Detroit Today. Uh, thank, thank you, Stephen. Uh-huh. Go ahead. Um, I'll just simply say that over the 67 years that I've been alive and lived in this city, mm-hmm. that if you took Dr. Welsing's model and applied it, then you'd understand why. Okay. Because racism, white supremacy mm-hmm. impacts us, people of color, as she said, in all areas of people activity, whether it's education, economics, entertainment, labor, law, politics, sex, religion, war, and I've added housing, health care, and food. Sure. And from my point of view, that explains it all. You think that's the reason that you, uh, I'm just trying to, uh, to to clarify here. You think that's the reason that Amazon didn't choose Detroit, or do you think that's the reason that we're making bad decisions about how to grow Detroit, or maybe both? <laughs> the latter. The latter. Okay. 
I see. So you think that that uh, the, the disinvestment then in in infrastructure, in things like schools, in opportunity is 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 driven by by race, and as a consequence, then we don't get things like Amazon. Exactly. Okay. You said it the other day. Yeah. You grew up at Livernois and Grand River. Yeah, I was born there. Right. Yeah. For a while, I lived at Livernois and and Cortland. Uh huh. Right. Before that, I lived on Atkinson between Woodward and Second. The reason why this city is as it is right now is because there's too many of us here. Yeah. I, I mean, I, you know, there's no question about that, Anthony. I mean, race drives everything in uh, in American culture and society to some degree. And, and I'm, I'm glad you called and, and raised that uh, issue. Uh, Lou Glazer, I'll give you a chance to respond to what Anthony's saying. The, the, the role that race plays... In a city, uh, you know, like Detroit, that is the has the highest uh, percentage of African Americans uh, of any major city in the country. Right. Um, so, look, I mean, there's no question that um, sort of race is uh, is a big part of the the problem uh, and affects sort of everything. I mean, I sort of experienced this firsthand as a very minor player uh, back in the Milliken years when both Presidents Ford and Carter uh, pledged federal money to build a transit system, a rail transit system for Metro Detroit. And we turned down the money, most people believe predominantly because the suburbs didn't want black people taking the subway or the transit system uh, out of Detroit. Sure. So um, so there's no question about that. But I will say that if you look at the list of 20 that Amazon chosen, there are a lot of cities, Chicago certainly being one of them, that have really deep racial problems as well. Right, right. Uh, and have been able to overcome it to make the kind of public investments that we're talking about. So it is a big problem in Metro Detroit. Um, and it's a big barrier that we've got to figure out a way to overcome, but other places have overcome it. So uh, I don't want to use that as the only explanation for why we're doing the wrong stuff. Yeah. Uh, Anthony, again, thanks very much for uh, the call and the comments. Let's go to Jude. Jude in Gross Point. Welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning. Thanks. Uh, I have two things. One is, uh, when I graduated, I grew up in Gross Point. When I graduated from Michigan, I moved to Chicago. I lived there for 35 years, uh-huh. and I can tell you that you know within a four-block radius of where I was, you know, uh, the density of Michigan people was huge. Um, <laughs> yeah, Chicago, and yeah. it was all downtown. Yeah. Yep. And then when we you know matured and we had a family, we moved to the suburbs, but we always used the public transit system for our Friday Saturday activities to go downtown. It was just easy. Mm-hmm. So I know what you mean by that. But on the other side of the coin, I wonder what your guest's opinion is of the attractiveness of fresh water as climate change kicks in hmm. and what attractiveness that will have to other corporations as they consider new locations. Great question, Thank Jude. Thanks uh, for calling. Uh, Lou Glazer, go ahead and, uh, and answer that. Um, although my guess is Chicago can make that case as well as we can. Well, that's right. I mean, they have every right to the Great Lakes uh, as we yeah. do, right? <laughs> um, so the answer is I don't know. Um, you know, um, obviously global warming is a reality, and 
the consequences of it we're going to be dealing with. But what it, how it's going to affect location decisions, I don't know. The only thing I will say is, is that if you have great natural resources and you have low education attainment, they're not coming. Right. Right. Uh, the asset that matters most is talent. And, uh, you know, so this is what's different about economic development from when I started working on this in the late 70s and today, which is in the late 70s, I think it was accurate uh, that people move to where the jobs are. Increasingly now, companies are moving to where talent is. So, um, so being an attractive place for talent actually is more important than being an attractive place for companies. And that we do not understand. Right. Uh, And we've got a whole sort of strategy that's based on what companies are looking for is low taxes and low regulation, all the rest of that stuff. Um, And, you know, that's been driving our policy, and and it's simply the wrong policy for a 21st century. I want to say one other thing quickly. We've been talking about sort of uh, the sort of state policy and how Michigan's been on the wrong track. I don't want to let the region off the hook. Mm-hmm. Uh, regions matter. So, um, and Metro Detroit as a region has also been pursuing the wrong agenda. Uh, and I think Dan Gilbert, to some degree, in his statement yesterday, spoke to that. Um, I mean, we, you know, we simply have a region that does not understand that a vibrant central city is the asset that matters most. Right. Uh, to young talent, uh, and that uh, and that economies are regional. Uh, you, you know, we need strong cities and strong suburbs. And at the moment, one can make an argument that we don't have either. We don't have either, right? And that's yeah. a policy choice. Yeah, yeah. At the regional level, not not at the state level. Right. Okay, Lou Glazer, president and co-founder of Michigan Future Inc. Uh, thanks very much for being here with us on Detroit today. My pleasure. Up next, we're going to talk about the role education played in Detroit's failed Amazon bid. We want to continue to hear from you as well. What do you think we are doing right as a region? What do you think we're doing wrong? What are some of the things that drove Amazon to say we're not even in the top 20 of places that we would think about going? Stay with us and stay with us on the phones. Uh, 313-577-1019 is the number. Jason in Dearborn, Gina in Detroit, stay with us. We'll get to you next. WDET, bringing you culture and information that empowers our community. Every day. On 1019 WDET, Detroit's public radio station. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. And as always, thanks for tuning in. There are a lot of shortcomings this region could point to. We talk about disinterest from a mega corporation like Amazon, shoddy transportation, crumbling infrastructure, segregation. But all of those things meet back at a central problematic point, disinvestment in our children. Our state has neglected to solve for the problems in our education system from preschool through college and has led to a shallow talent pool for major businesses with a so-called brain drain as people fortunate enough to get a quality education often leave the state to seek the higher-paying jobs that they are qualified for. Often when we talk about this, 
comes up as a Detroit problem. People talk about the schools in Detroit and the big, deep problems that we have with urban education. But increasingly, I think people are aware that those problems uh, visit on schools all around the metro area and all around our state. Uh, we have been sliding down the ranks uh, in terms of education and in comparison to other states for several years now. And one of the things that uh, probably drove Amazon's decision to look elsewhere for a place to put its second headquarters is that disinvestment that we have in education. Here to talk more about that is Brian Gutman. He's the director of public engagement at the Education Trust Midwest. Brian, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks for having me. Also here is Aaron Einhorn. She's the editor of Chalkbeat Detroit and Education News Magazine. Aaron, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So let's start with the uh, just your assessments of the role that education played in this decision, was it a big part? Uh, was it a small part? I mean, we had a lot, we have a lot of deficits around here. Uh, picking one out sometimes is difficult. Uh, but talk about the things that that Amazon might have noticed about Detroit and Metro Detroit that would have said, eh, "We're going to look somewhere else." Go ahead, Brian. Well, what we've what we've heard is that that workforce and talent really was a huge, huge part of this decision, and I think you really hit the nail on the head. Uh, we have we have major major problems uh, preschool through uh, through college in our state in our region um, and and we can see that where we're 41st nationally for all students in fourth grade reading where we are 38th nationally um, for eighth grade math um, where where 65 percent of our 11th graders last year weren't considered career and college ready on the SAT as they were leaving 11th grade that's Almost seventy thousand students, wow. um, and and that translates up, um, and I'm sure we'll get into it today. But that's one of the reasons why we see, why we see well over a quarter of students uh, who are in two and four year colleges in this state needing remediation, making their degrees more expensive, taking longer, the risk of dropping out greater, mm-hmm. and quite frankly, why we're seeing our four year degree rates so much lower than the vast majority, by my numbers, every city. That uh, that that Amazon did put on their finalist list, and some of those some of those cities are you know substantially higher yeah. in four year degree attainment, as well as all of the other metrics that we just talked in, about. In, in fact, John Gallagher, a columnist for the Detroit Free Press, wrote uh, today about uh, sort of answering uh, Dan Gilbert's uh, note, uh, saying that this is about reputation and the fact that that people just don't like. Detroit or Metro Detroit, uh, Gallagher points out that about 34% of metropolitan Detroit younger adults have earned a bachelor's degree or, or higher. Of the metro areas on Amazon's list, everyone but Miami has a higher uh, percentage, the sort of workforce that they're looking for. Uh, only uh, uh, Miami was at 31 percent but uh, but Dallas uh, is uh, is at 35 uh, percent Boston's at 58 percent uh, if you think about that the if you think about these kind of gaps uh, that that exist between us and other places you know I guess it's not it shouldn't have been a surprise that that Amazon did it but I guess what's frustrating is we we knew this and we've known this for a while uh, why don't we do something about it Aaron <laughs> Well, I mean, this is what's kind of, um, I think, I mean, when you look over the past 20 years, 
in this state. And when people have talked about what are we going to do about the schools, Mm -hmm. the answer seems to come back every time. We're going to give parents options. We're going to give them choices, which is great. As a parent, I love the idea that I have lots of options. But, you know, and we have not only not only charter schools, we also have schools of choice. So you can go to if you don't like the schools in in your district, you can go to the neighboring district. But I mean, as the statistics that Brian was just sharing with us show, the neighboring district probably isn't all that much better. It might be better than your district if your district is really bad. But the data are showing that the best districts in the state are are not as good as the best districts in other states. Right. And so if our goal is to be competitive, if our goal is to have our children be the best in the country and, and grow up to be the most qualified to take the kinds of jobs that Amazon is looking to create, then we're going to then then giving families the option to go from the worst district in the state even to the best district in the state doesn't I mean like not even get into the fact that <laughs> only so many kids can go to the best district right, in the state right. and that there's not enough, you know, decent schools in 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 a lot of our cities especially this one. You know, when your best options, I mean if you talk to I mean, there are some 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 excellent charter schools in this state. There are some excellent district schools. But one thing I notice is that when I talk to school leaders, regardless of what kind of school it is, charter or district or suburban, they all tell me the same thing, yeah. which is that they don't have the resources to do their job as well as they would like to do it. And that is the one thing that is universal Every kind of school in this state. Yeah, I mean, there there is this this sort of uh, understanding, I guess, uh, among educators that they are asked to do "quote unquote" more with less. One of the most, I think, obnoxious phrases that uh, that ever gets uttered. That it never works that way. You do less with less. That's why they call it less. Um, <laughs> if you want to join the conversation here uh, about the role that education plays uh, or did play in Amazon's decision not to come to Detroit, give us a call. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we will work you into the conversation. Lots of folks waiting on the phones to participate. Aaron in Detroit, you're up next. Good morning. Hey, go ahead. Uh, Listen, I really was hopeful and wishing uh, that Amazon would have chosen Detroit, but I really knew better. But, you know, we have to understand Detroit is starting on this upswing, and we're doing really well and uh, headed towards some places. But the type of employees that uh, Amazon wished to attract and the type of environment they try to create for their workforce, uh, the young people that they uh, are trying to invest in, Education is very important, and sadly, Detroit is not in a position to uh, to make any kind of boast about our educational system. Yeah, right uh, now we just not. We really aren't. Um, so, so Dan Gilbert in his email says he thought the talent pool question was a moot point because he said number one. We have major universities here, which is true. We have uh, world-class universities, not just one, but several in southeast Michigan. Uh, But he also said that companies like Amazon are attractors for new talent. And so if they had come here, people would have come because they were here. So is is that a good argument for saying maybe we're thinking too much about education? And if we could land a big fish like Amazon, yeah, we would be fine. I think we have to be careful. 
without getting too caught up in in the ordering of these things. I, I don't dispute that there's, um, I'm sure, some truth to that. Uh, what we've heard from from others very involved in the process is mm-hmm. that talent was the biggest uh, reason why why Amazon didn't come here. But I think that we also, and this this touches on on the last caller's point. Amazon was a was a prominent proposal. It was a huge proposal. It wasn't the only one. And every single day, there are companies, and for that matter, there are families who are deciding where to locate, uh, where to grow, and where to invest. And taking a pass on us because of this. Exactly. And that's you know whether it's whether it's having the big fish attract those or not. We know that healthy communities thrive at least in part when there are strong school systems. We know that when people are deciding where to move, education frequently is the top or near the top of that list. And yeah. if we don't have a strong educational system, we're really going to struggle uh, to, to build the types of strong communities that people are going to want to, uh, that people are going to want to move to. And we're going to struggle to to create thriving communities. And Lou hit on this before as well. This isn't just a Detroit problem. And we need to be really careful not to just talk about this as a Detroit problem. Grand Rapids also had a proposal that did not make the uh, the final That's cut. True. But this is a problem that affects every corner of this state, uh, urban, suburban, and rural. Yeah, uh, Aaron, you're somebody who'd moved back to Detroit uh, with young children who you have to, to send to school. Talk about sort of uh, how different that process looks in a city like Detroit than it than it did where where it, where you were before, where it might have been. Uh, uh, I guess I guess easier uh, because there were more choices or more quality choices. I mean, the the two city. I mean, I and I grew up in the Detroit area, right. and you know, like a lot of the conversation around uh, Michigan's talent challenges isn't just the quality of our schools, but also this brain drain. Right? People, right. people. I went to the University of Michigan. I graduated, and I left town. I went to Philadelphia. I went to New York City. Now, if I had had children in those cities, I mean, my children were born in New York, but you know, the, there are. Um, you know, it can be difficult in some of those cities as well to to try to find quality options. New York City has significantly more quality options, but significantly more people trying to get into them. And mm-hmm. so, you just you know, it's a very sort of <laughs> complicated process. And I'm not saying that you know that's necessarily better, but you know, I know that I mean, you know, Newark isn't on the Amazon finalist list because of its because of the Newark schools, but it's that region. There's yeah. a lot of and there's a lot of people. I mean, when people choose where they're going to go live, and so this is that sort of in response to that Dan Gilbert ar- argument yeah. where you know people will go where they want to go. Well, there's a lot of reasons, and if Amazon, you know, Amazon offers you a great job, and you're like, yeah, but if you're a really talented person, you've got a lot of options, you've got a lot of choices, and if your best friend has a job in San Francisco, well, that might look better. If your family is in, you know, Austin, you know, you might want to go there. So people choose, and I came back to Detroit because my family's here and because, you know, Detroit's fantastic and I love Detroit and there's, you know, it was a a great decision for me. Um, But I didn't didn't come back here for a job. Right, Um, right. And you didn't come back here because... Uh, there was something sort of, you know, there was momentum around the idea of schools getting better or, or I opportunities certainly opening up. did not come here for 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 the schools yeah, for yeah. my children. I mean, people come back despite that. I I, I was in the same position ten years ago, uh, having to think through 
the idea of coming back to Michigan and coming back to Detroit from a place where, you know, and let's be honest, every urban district has tremendous challenges. I mean, I lived in Baltimore. My kids started school in Baltimore, but I had far more quality choices uh, to look at and and choose from than I than I do here. Yeah, even even now, as they're much. As they're much older. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones to join the conversation. I'm talking with Brian Gutman. He's the director of public engagement at the Education Trust Midwest. Also, here's Aaron Einhorn, an editor at Chalkbeat Detroit and Education News Magazine. We're talking about the role that education might have played, talent, in uh, Amazon's decision not to locate its second headquarters here in the city of Detroit. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there or go to Twitter. Hashtag Detroit Today will work you into the conversation. Let's go to Gene in Detroit. Gene, welcome to Detroit Today. Uh, good good morning, Stephen. Hey, Gene. Your guests were quite right. It's a combination of factors. Uh, not only that this is the most uh, segregated, most poverty-stricken, uh, most violent big city in the country, but that it has the poorest roads. Uh, the education system has been ravaged by the state in Detroit for a number of years, uh, and the charter schools are, are, are really no better. And, and how the, the people who are drafting uh, uh, the Amazon proposal could have seen beyond that. They weren't looking at it how uh, uh, people from outside look at it. Uh, when, when you look at the so-called development and, uh, and the rebirth in Detroit, it covers the area of less than 6% mm-hmm. of the entire city. It's asymmetrical, <laughs> it's contrived, and it should be obvious to anyone uh, that that's in combination with the other factors is not going to be the way to go forward. Yeah. Gene, I really appreciate uh, the call uh, and the comments there. Um, I, I'm curious about the policy discussion around this question, the talent question, the education dis- uh, question. Um, it comes up in, in Lansing uh, frequently. It, it never seems to get beyond a certain point. Um, uh, but there are some things that I guess uh, I would say are are maybe lurking in the background of that discussion that seem like if we could put them into place, it might start to move uh, the, the needle. Brian, talk about what some of those things are. Yeah, you know, this is a um, this is absolutely a perennial problem. Um, the reality is when you're, you know, on whatever the factor, bottom 10 in the nation, um, at least 40 other states are doing something differently. At least 40 other states are doing something better. And I think one of the overarching challenges in Michigan is that far too often we're quick to make excuses, far too often we're quick to look inward rather than outward. And we really have to get out of that habit of saying, well, that state that's doing far, far better than us has a slightly different structure, right. and therefore their solutions that's can never work That's the reason, appear. right. And this happens all the time, and you can pick your state. Um, and, and we really need to get our heads out of the sand and look around and say, what is best practice? We didn't go from a middle-performing state in 2003-2002 to a bottom-10 state now because we know so much about educational improvement. We're really struggling with this in a big way. There have been a few policies where where they have been important steps forward, but on every single one of those, we're here five years, six years, seven years after they were adopted. We're still struggling to implement them at least equitably across the state. Um, And we seem to debate these, these topics year in and year out. 
And we do see this constant churn, even with policy, uh, with positive policy developments, even where we are on occasion following the best practices of leading education states, we seem to be stuck in the debate about it. We seem to be unable to just say, this is an important, uh, this is an important improvement. Let's focus on how we implement it well and move forward. Yeah, no, we'd, we'd switch up a lot and yes, get frustrated do. with things and move on. Uh, Aaron, Chalkbeat uh, covers education around the country in, in a number of different places. Do you see other, uh, do you see us looking more to other places as a policy imperative to try to figure this out? Um, or are we sort of off on our, on our own? <laughs> well, that defi- that depends on how you're defining us and we, right? Yeah, so there's right. there are, I mean, you know, the governor last year convened a major, um, the 21st Century Commission to, to look at, at what we need to do. And it made a whole series of recommendations, most of them based in research, based in best practices. I I. I'm trying to think of any, you know, I mean, maybe some small elements have been implemented, but for the most part, you know, it's a study that, that sits on a shelf. Uh, last week, um, a, a major uh, coalition of business and educational leaders released uh, a study recommending a, a major overhaul of not just how much we spend on schools, but how we distribute that money, an entirely different system that um, would certainly be, you know, certainly the people behind it say would would be more equitable because it would give schools money not just based on how many students, but on what the needs of those students are. And that study also looked at what it would cost. It talked to educators, what would an ideal school situation look like? You know, what are the class sizes? What does teacher training look like? What right. are the supports that teachers need? What's working in other states? It looked at all of those things. I think they, they raised money. They spent, you know, almost $900,000 on doing this, this, this research, and they put out this study. And I actually was, I was listening to the governor's state of the state the other night. I wondered if he was going to mention it. <laughs> he didn't. He yeah. mentioned that he, he's backing a, a major expansion on school funding, yes. which I'm sure the education world was happy to hear. But does putting more money in the pot do, do enough? Yeah. Or is it how we're spending that money? And, and just to, to jump in at the end of that, um, that how is so important. There, yeah. There is, I'm not saying there's enough, but there is a lot of money in the educational system. And we really do struggle with that how. And just one really brief example, in the last three years, Michigan's invested about $80 million into early literacy. Yeah. And, and we should be. That's yeah. an area we have to improve in. Also, in the last three years, our early literacy scores have dropped by 6%. I don't think anyone was sitting around saying, let's invest $80 million to have our scores go down. We need to be taking a really close look at how we're spending. Why is it not working? Why is it not working? And then actually improve where we're putting that money. Okay. Brian Gutman, Public Engagement Director for the Education Trust Midwest, and Aaron Einhorn, Editor of Chalkbeat Detroit. Thanks for being here on Detroit Today. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Up next, we're going to talk about how students at MSU are reacting to their school's handling of the Nassar scandal. Stay with us on Detroit Today. 